Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by the new Squarespace. Squarespace introduces a new content management system, making it faster and easier to create a high-quality website or blog, plus mobile responsive designs with automatic device scaling and more than 50 other new features. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to squarespace.com slash TWIP and use the offer code TWIP8. This week on TWIP, who's been stalking your Facebook photos? Nikon and Sony embrace Android. Getty and Pictage change hands. Vogue bans skinny models. Plus, an interview with Sue Bryce. It's Wednesday, August 22nd, 2012. And this is TWIP. Welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me today on this week's show are Mr. Doug Kay and Mr. Ron Brinkman. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Pretty Hello. good. All right. This is going to be a good show. we got lots of cool, interesting things to talk about before we jump into this stuff. Doug, what have you been up to? Let me guess. 550 photo walks since the last time we, we spoke, right? I, you know, well, 549. <laughs> uh, you got one tonight, doing, though, right? <laughs> no, no. But I, I may I may yet go to the Golden Gate Bridge late tonight. We're going to keep trying until we get it right. Uh, but I've been uh, spending the last week and a half researching glossy papers, and I published a review of them on my blog, and uh, that's worn me out. So I'm recovering from that. Nice. Researching glossy. That's that's kind of a, a niche topic there. Researching glossy paper, not just paper. Well, you know, um, uh, Martin Bailey got me going on the high end matte papers and I was focusing on them so much. And then um, one of my images was in competition and got dinged for not being on glossy. And the guy was absolutely right. So I said, stop the presses. I got to go back and do everything I can do on glossy papers and figure out which the best ones are. So I think I've pinned it down. That's cool. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah, he uh, Martin Bailey got me too with that all this printing stuff. He's you know, he's it's infectious. <laughs> That's a really good I would I still recommend that ebook that he wrote. Just go to it's at Craft and Vision, right? So head over yeah, to Craft right. and Vision. What's the you remember the title of the ebook, Doug? Oh no, something about the print. Yeah, I think it's yeah, it's it's something like that, but just search for his name, you'll find it over there. But it's the it's an ebook and kind of a, almost the definitive guide to printing with these modern printers that we have these days. And I, Oh, I should also say I've, I've also almost figured out how to use my D 800 E. All right. We got to talk about that later. <laughs> oh, right. I have one more important thing. Yeah. Go one more it. important thing. How about a moment of silence for the D 700? It has just been discontinued officially. Oh, don't tell me that. Oh, yeah. oh man. G so 700 is gone. We now own antiques. Oh. <laughs> Good grief. All right. Moment of silence. And while you guys are silent, I'm looking at on eBay how much I can get for it. <laughs> <laughs> All good things must pass. All right. And that other voice that you just heard is Mr. Ron Brinkman. Hey, Ron, what's going on in your world? Oh, not a whole lot since we talked last week. Still <laughs> working, on, uh, working on the app and various other little fun fun ideas and projects. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we, we, just for the listeners and you, Doug, we, we've been, Ron and I have been cooking up our plans for what this cool 
uh, freeze paint contest is going to be. Freeze paint is Ron's Ron's iPhone app. Yeah, and uh, I think it's going to be pretty cool. We're lining up what the prize is going to be and how we're going to accept submissions, which should be it'll be real because yeah, that's usually fun. the hard thing, right? I mean, you're going to make it really easy, Ron, right? Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> so it will be easy. All will be revealed soon, and yes, uh, this will be a be really fun. cool, fun contest for the for the Twip listeners. I'm looking at my Skype page now. I'm gonna put. I'm gonna composite Frederick's eyes on that camel I see right there. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I dare you to do it. I dare you. I don't think you know how to do it, Doug. <laughs> I do. I do. All right, guys. Let's moving on. Uh, today on the show, some of the things that we're going to be talking about is there's a new feature in Facebook that allows you to see who's been looking at your photos. So that should be pretty interesting once that rolls out. I think it's they're rolling it out for Facebook groups initially, but it may be something that we'll see in other parts of Facebook. Um, there are new, quote, smart cameras, unquote, coming from Nikon and Sony. We'll talk about those a little bit. And the Carlisle Group has purchased Getty Images. So companies shifting around. And along with that, um, Pictage has been purchased by a private equity group. So the Pictage is a company that, that a lot of wedding photographers, wedding and portrait photographers use to produce their images. So a private equity group has purchased them. We'll talk about that a little bit. And also Vogue the magazine has banned underage and skinny models. So, okay, we'll, we'll talk. About, <laughs> we'll talk just going to publish a blank issue. Then huh? <laughs> it's just like, yeah, just go buy a ream of paper, you know, uh-huh. instead and draw on it. Here's a you know ream of paper and some pencils. Uh, so anyway, obviously we'll, we'll talk about that. Plus we'll have a great interview in this episode with fashion glamour photographer. Um, actually she's a, Sue Bryce uh, positions herself as a, a glamour portrait photographer. So she brings sort of the fashion flair and magazine quality photography to the genre of glamour photography. So it's really interesting, really interesting talk I had with her. And speaking of Sue Bryce, one of the things that we talk about in the interview, um, and I've been mentioning on the show for the last couple of weeks, is we've got a, a, a great partnership with our friends up in Seattle, the Creative Live folks. And Sue actually has a workshop coming up with them. So it's a five-day workshop, a five-day event on beauty photography of women. So definitely check that out. Just head over to creativelive.com to see when that's happening. I think it's happening in the next couple of weeks. So get that on your calendar. And the one of the main reasons that we partnered with Creative Live is to, like I just did with this Sue Bryce interview and some of the other ones you heard this month, um, bring you... Um, a lot of different voices into the TWIP universe. So these are the, the workshops they, that they do and the photographers that they interact with overlay nicely with what the This Week in Photo listeners like to hear. So it's a win-win-win for everyone all around. Cool thing about Creative Live is these workshops, and the reason I love promoting them and talking about them is the, the workshops are 100% free. So you can go and watch these while they're happening live. You can submit questions, interact with Sue or whoever's leading the workshop live uh, from the comfort of your home. And then if you decide, okay, you know what, that was really good. I need to, I want to watch that again. I want to buy it. Then you can pay whatever, I think it's under under 150 bucks. Uh, sometimes they get it down as low as 99 bucks and you can own the entire workshop. And we're talking nine to five for like in the case of Sue's five days of, you know, a workshop that you can own and watch it whenever and wherever you want. So really cool deal. Definitely check them out. They're over at creative live.com. 
Um, all right, guys, we're going to jump into the, the first news that we have going on here. So Facebook, like I talked about at the top, revealed that uh, that they're going to allow the people that are viewing photos in Facebook groups to kind of be tagged. And you'll people will know when, when like Doug, for example, when I go Facebook stalk you, you'll know that I've been there. <laughs> I'll leave footprints. <laughs> I, I think that's exactly the big concern, right? This is they, they claim that this is only within groups, and so theoretically that means it's already sort of a hand-picked uh, set of people that are interacting at a deeper level than you just have in your, in your general Facebook uh, scenario. But basically, yeah, being able to see that so-and-so has viewed your photo, I think is, it's a big step, and, and I think it probably will scare a lot of people. Uh, I, you know, I don't, it would change the way that I am interacting with the site. I think at some level, if I knew that every time I looked at something, I would it would be kept track of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's a big concern because you know, I mean, there's often times where you'll see something posted in a timeline and you're not quite sure what it is, and you'll click on it, and then you realize that it's something you wish you hadn't clicked on at all. Yeah, and and uh, I certainly wouldn't want you know that to be public knowledge necessarily mm-hmm. you'll even you'll even breadcrumbs wherever you go now right yeah so i don't you know I, this is something that facebook's had to you know has been been walking this fine line forever of where's the balance between increasing traction and keeping privacy and i don't think they've done a particularly great job of walking that line from most people's perspective and i think this is just one more chance for them to potentially annoy people a lot yeah, I don't know. I mean, Doug, where, what do you think about this? Because when I look at it, I it just reminded me of LinkedIn, and I you you know who's been viewing your profile in LinkedIn. You can see do, that. Do they, do they still do that? As far as oh, I know, they do. Yeah, yeah it's you creepy. Can, yeah, Very you creepy. can look and say so and so has viewed your. Like, actually, they yeah. do because I looked at my profile the other day, and I could see why why is a petroleum oil company looking at my profile <laughs> well and i think even even more than that not, not only can you see who's viewed your profile but i think everybody can see who's viewed your profile so mm-hmm. you can actually see you know who 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 is i could see who's been viewing your profile for mm-hmm. so yeah so you could be like your boss could see that hey my competitor is looking at my my number one employee's profile i better do something right yeah. So I, I stopped using LinkedIn when that first began, and I've never gone back because I just didn't like that concept at all. And, you know, Ron says that Facebook is sort of playing close to the edge. I think they play pretty fast and loose with privacy. And, you know, these things come out of Facebook all the time with almost no notice. Yeah. And I think I think that most of us treat Facebook differently than we treat something like Twitter or Google Plus because we know that the company is likely to – do stuff like this, and I I know we that, give them more rope. You mean we're like okay, no, I, well I they're they're, just, they're I, unscrupulous I'm, no. anyway, so it's okay. I'm, I'm, yeah, no, I'm just more conservative for what I'll put there because I assume that the rules are going to change when I'm not looking. Uh, with Twitter, it's a fairly simple service. I think I know what's going on there. Google Plus, I think the people who run it are much more sensitive to privacy issues. And with Facebook, I just think you know they're out of control and. Um, I, you know, I don't put anything on there I don't want my mother to see. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a good rule of thumb for anything you put on the internet, right? Well. Not, <laughs> for most. Not, not necessarily. That was an eerie pause there. <laughs> Ron didn't jump in either. <laughs> Ron, Ron, a.k.a., you know, you have, a, you have an alias that you post online under, right, Ron? Yeah, no, I mean, I don't. And I'm just not super active on most of these things. And I think it's it's certainly partly because of that. I mean, there, you know, especially if you're if you are well, if you're a professional photographer and wanting to 
get your word out, you know, get the, get your name out there, then you have to be very active with doing some of that kind of stuff. And you know, see, so managing all this is a is a full time job. And I don't I don't know where the answer is because I know that Facebook is doing this because they want to increase traction. And and I can certainly see value in knowing who's looked at photos and and using that as part of a continuing conversation but yeah it's i don't know it's a bit weird i mean i just i just looked onto lincoln and i can see i can see who has visited your profile frederick mm-hmm. some some guy named alec Lindsay. Looked yeah, at your yeah. profile. <laughs> it's like huh what is he doing looking at my profile? stalker <laughs> yes so i i don't know i i guess i guess part of the question is why what's the use of it you know what what, what good does it do me to know that somebody in my group has looked at this photo right Right. You know, I, I, I think about it from the marketing standpoint. I wonder if they're going to expose this data to people that are running advertising mm-hmm. campaigns. So you could say, you know, if if so-and-so, this person looks at so-and-so kinds of photos, then I can target them with a specific kind of advertising, which is yeah. a little creepy. But, yeah, you know, all of this is a little creepy. <laughs> that That is what all of this online social... I mean, that's what drives this engine of socializing that is largely largely free is that somebody's got to monetize it. And I get that. And, and the way it's being monetized by Google clearly and it's, you know, attempting by Facebook is figuring out how to sell against it, either yeah. to advertise against it or some other services. So. Which means it's not free, right? You, you think it's free because you're not paying for it, but you're paying for it in other ways. Yeah, That's I don't right. know. Who, I can't remember who said it, but basically uh, the, the quote is that, you know, if you can't identify the product, then you are the product. Yes, uh, and I think that's absolutely right. You know that if you if you can't find some other thing that is uh, what, what's being sold, then you're the one that's being sold there. Yeah, we are Soylent Green. Oh uh-huh. no, <laughs> <laughs> I know half the audience is like Soylent. Yeah, what? What, <laughs> what the heck is that? Right, Soylent Green is people. I'm Soylent just saying. <laughs> Google it. Google it. Yes, yes. Soylent. And and the author of that book just died last week. Really? Wait, what mm-hmm. was his name? Harry Harrison. He mm-hmm. died last week. Wow. He did. Yeah, he was uh, been around for a while. Old, old science fiction writer, you know, from back in the golden age kind of thing, practically. Wow, uh, wow. The, the novel was called "Make Room, Make Room," and uh, you know, he, he wrote. Don't a lot don't of- give away the premise. If you're, you know, I wonder if it's on Netflix. If it's on Netflix, definitely go watch it. Soylent it Green. Is. Yeah, a, cl- a true classic. It is. It is. You'll never eat green crackers the same again. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, after that we're off in the weeds yeah i know, I know. <laughs> but but ron ron knew, he had the bit of trivia he had it nailed i'm impressed I'm i know impressed. look at that ron that, Bring was, it on. that was right on the money look at that you know that wall of books that's behind me is a testament to the wasted childhood of those are actually books that you read you didn't just go buy those from a garage sale to look cool <laughs> <laughs> some of them right some of them nope every single one of them i've read that's cool all right. So the next thing that we want to talk about here uh, uh, is interesting. We've we've actually brought this up on the show before. Particularly, Alex Lindsay has been raving about the idea that um, the OS or the user interface, the UI on the back of cameras, sucks. You know, yeah. and it's especially compared to what's on your smartphone. And you you switch over to your to your Nikon, your Canon, whatever, and it's just you're back in the DOS days or pre-DOS days. So Nikon has announced – Nikon, both Nikon and Sony, uh, Nikon said their next Coolpix camera, the S800C, will uh, be running an Android-based operating system. 
So, and I think Sony is doing something similar as well with the new NEX 5R and the NEX 6 will feature Wi-Fi apps and online browsing. So, uh, Doug K, uh, is this, are we finally there? Is it here? Uh, you know, of course, this makes us all think of Alex and his, his constant rant for, uh, for decoupling the camera from the UI. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a big deal in the case of the Nikon. I think, um, you know, the, it's an inexpensive camera. It's 350 bucks. Uh, it's going to, people are going to start hacking this right away, right away. The fact that it's Android is the real key. It's a relatively open operating system that, that is fairly easy to get into and do things that you're not supposed to. And that's, that's what's going to happen here. I think it's a bold move. Um, it surprises me. I didn't expect it to come from Nikon. I think it's going to be a big deal. Sony, on the other hand, uh, is not, as far as we know, is not doing Android and mm-hmm. All I can think of is, you know, Betamax and memory sticks. <laughs> yeah, I, and, you know, I totally agree with that. Yeah. You know, and my, my NEX7 that has a hot shoe that doesn't fit anything. Yeah. Yep. And I think that, um, I think that's not a big deal. Yeah. Uh, and their maybe, eight, remember the we'll A-Track? What was the A-Track file format they came right. out, you know, came out with during, the, for music during, that only worked on their devices? Yeah. Right. So I, I'm not, I'm not expecting much from the Sony, but I think the, the, uh, the, the, the S800C from Nikon has real potential to, to be a game changer. Hmm. So what are we going to see from that, Ron? What does that mean? If the game changes, does that mean we're going to see app stores for the Nikon cool picks and say, I'll be able to put a, an HDR app on my cool pics or a portrait <laughs> well, app or something like that? Uh, you know, I, I could, I can go toe to toe with Alex on my, uh, the amount of time I've ranted on this sort of thing as well. In fact, I just did a really long blog post probably less than a month ago on my, on the digital composting blog that kind of really goes through a lot of, uh, specifics about what it would be cool to have on a, on a camera if it had an open platform operating system on it. Uh, all kinds of opportunities open up. And I, I agree with Doug that I'm surprised that Nikon's actually one of the first to do it. There was also a, I want to say Polaroid or some, you know, second tier, third tier kind of manufacturer that claimed to have, uh, I think it was also an Android kind of an OS running behind it. Um, it definitely opened up a lot of stuff. You know, the the big question first and foremost is how much access to the camera hardware does the operating system give you? Because if they don't actually give you more than the ability to you know close the shutter button, then it's not it's not much. I mean, I, we, doing development on the iPhone platform, you're very limited in in certain areas for what you can do. I can't explicitly set a lot of things in there, like white balance, for instance. I have no access to that inside of iOS. So part of the question is going to be how much of that is, does the Android system give you uh, on a camera like this? And I think part of the issue, too, is that it's not that exciting to me as a, as a camera I would buy just because it's not a great camera. You know, I would much rather see something like this coupled with a camera I want. You can't give me I, – I don't find it a compelling enough situation that I would go out and buy it just because it has – the ability to run apps on it, particularly since there's not necessarily any apps out of the gate. Right. And, it, and it didn't seem to me like they announced any special apps that would go with it, which seems kind of odd. You know, yeah. it, So I, I'd be very concerned that this is just sort of some uh, Frankenstein beast that's not necessarily a real sort of well-thought-out system. But, but on, on the Nikon side, both of you guys mentioned that it's, it was strange that Nikon came out with it. Who would you expect, expect it to have come out with this? I would have predicted that it was going to be somebody in that sort of second tier space, 
like Olympus, uh, Olympus or the, like Panas- Olymp- Panasonic. Panasonic, exactly. Those are the right. two I would have predicted. Olympus, Panasonic, uh, recognizing, I would, and, and maybe this is wishful thinking too, because what I would have loved to see was an Olympus or a Panasonic come out with a micro four thirds platform that has all those great interchangeable lenses, and, and the lens array on micro four thirds is is really spectacular these days. You know, would have come out with a platform that lets you take those lenses and run an open operating system on it. And, and I would be all over that. Would buy it in a heartbeat. Because then you've got, you know, any kind of functionality you can think of can be added into that. Mm. So, so we, we need to revisit this one six months after it's been out. Because I think the big thing that's going to happen here is the hacker community. Mm-hmm. I, I agree that I don't expect to see a lot of apps for the thing. Uh, you know, it's almost a gimmick for an icon. But I do think... That this is exactly the kind of thing that the hacker community is going to embrace, get in there and do things that weren't intended uh, to be available, but that you can get to. You know, white balance, I'm, I doubt there's an API for white balance. Right. Right. Uh, right. But, you know, it's the kind of thing that, that you know is in there and somebody's going to find it. But yeah. what, I mean, why, I guess I'm a little skeptical just because the camera itself is not so much better than an iPhone camera, for instance. You know, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a slightly larger sensor, and yes, it's got a slightly better... Well, slightly glass. larger. It's 16 megapixels versus two, so that's... Well, it's got... No, no, no. It, what's, it's, what's got the iPhone a, it's got a 10 to 1 zoom lens, optical zoom lens. And, oh, fair enough. Good you know, point. That's that's a big deal. And um, if that's programmable, then that's an interesting right. sort and of thing. And the fact that it has Wi-Fi, I mean, this thing becomes a programmable remote camera, you know, all sorts of things that the hacker community is going to do that you and I don't think of when we think of buying a camera for our personal use. But uh, I think there are all sorts of things this can be. It's got GPS built into it, supposedly. So uh, just a lot of potential there. Yeah. Yeah, Well, uh, you know, like I said, there's no shortage of things that you can do with a nice platform like this. And I I probably listed a a couple dozen of them on, on that blog post. And so I can I can see it. I guess I'm just curious. I'm wondering how much people will gravitate to it rather than, you know, just figuring that you get most of that same bang for your buck on a uh, on an Android phone with a good camera on it. You know, some of those are eight megapixels, so it's not like it's that much better in terms of the sensor array or something. But right. you know, I, you're probably right. There's going to be some cool stuff done by hackers, but I don't expect it to have any kind of mass market adoption to the point of where Nikon is necessarily going to. Consider it a success, maybe. You know, I, I, there's some very cool hacker solutions that are available on Canon SLRs these days. Uh, That's true. Where yeah, you true. can you can upgrade and and get. You know, I mean, like the one of the huge stupid things that Canon does is try to sell you an intervalometer. You know, a remote shutter lets you take uh, uh, sequences of images and things like that. Yeah, interesting. Hey, Doug, doesn't your camera have a built-in intervalometer? Yeah, and that, funny, funny about that. All, uh, all of please, mine do, in fact. I, I, in fact, I, all of my cameras have built-in intervalometers. I don't know. Yeah, funny thing. No, I agree. I mean, Nikon, it's, and, it, and it's so annoying because there's zero reason why uh, that shouldn't be a built-in kind of a feature. And Canon just, you know, is basically bending people over for that one, trying to sell a some ridiculous, I mean, $200. That's crazy. Kind of That's a device crazy. that goes with it. So, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to defend Canon on that for even a second. Yeah. Oh, by the way, to set the record straight, I know I said the iPhone was two megapixels. It's actually five on the four and the four S. So yeah, it's a five megapixel camera, but still five versus sixteen megapixels is a jump. Yeah, it is. And I'm, and and you may be, you know, I think you are right that there is going to be a hacker uh, sort of diving in, hacker community kind of diving in on this, uh, Doug. But I, I don't know. I guess I, I question how 
it's not going to be broad. Whereas I think that if it was a really good camera coupled with this, you know, a, a very functional camera, then you'd really start to see exciting stuff go with it. Do you guys remember, you, you remember back, I'm going to say back in the day, I'm dating myself, but back in the day when Apple actually had a digital camera, what was it, the, ah. the quick take? Yep. Mm-hmm. What if they did that again? What if they brought the quick take back with iOS running on it? <laughs> you know, why not? Uh, well, I, there was a, uh, there's a funny video that just came out last week that's sort of making fun of what the new uh, iPhone 5 is, is likely to be. And, and, and the, the joke of the video is basically it looks like an SLR and it's entirely because everybody that takes photos with their their phone are taking photos of food to pretend that they have a life when they really don't. But um, it's, it's a pretty Hey, are you talking video. about me? You're talking about me, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But anyway, you know, in either case, this is this is cool news. You know, it's, yeah, it's good yeah. to see that this stuff is moving in this direction. I would like to go on record to say that this week in photo, Alex Lindsay, you, Ron, everybody has predicted this. What, like three years ago that they, yeah, <laughs> we need true. to go in this direction? So. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to uh, to that blog post I wrote, to, wrote too, just because it's uh, there's good room for discussion there. Cool. All right. Well, moving on, this next story is uh, the Carlyle Group, LLP. Um, they're the world's second largest private equity firm. They have agreed to buy the Getty Images from Hellman and Friedman LLC in a deal valued at $3.3 billion. So Getty has been sold. Now, um, uh, I'm not sure exactly what this means for... I mean, Getty also owns iStock Photo, right? So that's a, yeah. so they get all those assets. Everything is now basically shifted hands from, uh, from our ground level view, you know, the, the feet on the street view. I don't know if that means that, um, you know, if we'll see anything. <laughs> so, you know, it's just like, okay, you know, the powers that be shifted the title of the car, but, you know, who cares? We're still driving the car here. I don't know. Doug, does it mean anything in your world? Well, I hope not. I mean, I hope that it doesn't result in any significant changes in the negative. I'm, you know, nervous about it. The uh, In reading about this, the the um, the company that is selling it, you know, took a third of the value out in dividends of the, you know, they, they bought it for, um, 2.4 billion. They're selling it for 3.3 billion, but somewhere along the way, they took almost a billion dollars, billion dollars out of the company. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that limits what they can do. Apparently the, um, uh, you know, the founder's still there. Getty's still there and hopefully he'll keep running it and, uh, we'll see. Oh, another interesting thing about this is that it's the, it's a secondary market for private equity. So, you know, whereas somebody like um, Hellman and Freeman might have originally tried to take this public, apparently the IPO market's so bad now that they're actually selling these companies from one private equity company to another. Wow. Yeah, so, private sales. Yeah, Facebook yeah. Facebook led the charge on that, right? Yeah, really. <laughs> but but the end of that. Yeah. But but you know, you know, I think you know, whatever we may think of Getty as a company, whatever, we certainly hope that uh, they don't disappear. Yeah, and, uh, I, I really do. I mean, I think, you know, Getty is is a huge part of the photography industry. iStock Photo, I just I just did a hangout with Nicole, um, Nicole Z, Nicole S. Young, last night? Yeah, last night. And, uh, you know, we were chatting about iStock a little bit, and that's, and how iStock Photo is hor- is one of her primary means of survival you know she's got yeah. she's got images on there that pay the rent so it's uh you know it's definitely helping out photographers so yeah i hope but it, you know, if somebody if somebody's taking a third of the value of the company out in cash that just puts the squeeze on the company uh it's mm-hmm. tough mm-hmm. 
Interesting. A lot of a lot of companies changing hand and other hands. Another company that has changed hands today um, was announced. Today is August twenty the August twenty second, twenty twelve. Um, but RHV Capital, one of Pictage's longtime investors, has taken control over the company. So they made an additional equity investment in the company and assumed control over it. So the the CEO of the company. Um, who I think I interviewed him on this week in photo a couple of years ago, but he's going to remain in control. He's going to remain CEO and chairman of the board and they're bringing in a general manager, but things are shifting. You know, <laughs> the photo industry is like, you know, chess pieces moving around and stuff is really, really interesting to me. Now, Ron, have you, have you used Pictage or services like that in the past? I have not used Pictage. I mean, my understanding is that it's you know it's very much a pro photographer mm-hmm. sort of community site, and you know uh, very targeted, particularly at like wedding photographers and and that sort of thing. And uh, you know, I, I guess my only real I don't have a whole lot of intelligent <laughs> things to say about this, other than typically whenever something like this happens, you kind of hope that it means that there's new blood being poured into a site, and uh, you know. What you hope that means that there's new invigorating things coming out of the site. You hope it doesn't mean that it's turned into some investor deciding that they need to figure out a better way to monetize it, and the the net result is going to be a site that no longer caters to passionate people and instead is just purely trying to monetize uh, in ways that may not be as as nice. Yeah, yeah, I I agree, but we'll see. I mean, people say change is good, but not always. <laughs> not always. Change is change. That's my my quote. Change is change is, is change. That's about it. Yeah. Yep. Change is constant. You can't stop it. You know, it could it could be good or bad. So we'll we'll have to keep an eye on Pictage to see if it if it actually turns out to be good or bad. Uh, same with Getty. All right. Uh, this next story, I know you guys are itching to talk about this. So Vogue magazine has banned models who are underage or too skinny so they're implementing a new policy that says you know if you're under the age of 16 or you're deemed too skinny i don't know what too skinny means but if you're deemed too skinny you will not be allowed to grace the pages of their magazine vogue is quoted as saying vogue believes that good health is beautiful and vogue editors around the world want the magazines to reflect their commitment to the health of models who appear on the pages and the well-being of their readers. So Condé Nast International Chairman Jonathan Newhouse said that. So that's uh, it's, it's really, really interesting. So I'm going to throw it to you guys first. I have my own opinions about this. So, Doug, what do you think? Is this, is this a good move? Uh, I'm cynical about this. I'll tell you why. <laughs> I, I have a hunch. I have nothing to back this up with. I want you to know that. But I have a hunch that Vogue's readership is aging. Mm. over time and i think the the under 16 thing um is i think might be playing to that more than anything uh the skinniness is uh you know they didn't define skinniness they didn't say what too skinny is so it's it's an easy thing to say what they actually do is is another issue um so i don't know i this seems to me to be a lot of pr yeah what yeah, that's, I, yeah. I mean, I, that's I kind of like you know, if you're gonna do it, why why are you making an announcement about it? Just do it, you know. Just just say okay. Internally, that's that's what your standards are being, and then you know, if if you feel the need to make this into a an advertising, uh, you know, marketing kind of a blurb that you're putting out there, then yeah, I'm a little skeptical too about what the what the reasoning behind it is. So I don't know, you know, I, the basic idea of 
raising awareness of this issue is still a good one. And I think it's, you know, I suppose you can argue that it's worth doing from that perspective. But like Doug said, there's no definition for what is considered too skinny and it probably shouldn't be. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, just the general tone of the magazine is going to shift a little bit. You won't see as many sort of uh, freakishly thin people featured. You yeah. don't know how many of them are photoshopped anyway. I, you know, I don't, and, and the underage uh, young girl sort of thing, I, I don't know what their demographic is anyway. And if they tended to produce fashion or talk about fashion for teens, then I don't know if that's even where they go or not. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, my where I fall on it is, it, I, I don't know, it's it's kind of two-pronged for me. I, I, I agree with you, Ron. I think this is, yeah, why issue a press release to, you know, to tell people that you're you're doing this, right? Just do it and then maybe talk about it later, but just do it. Uh, but on the other side of it, I think, you know, and we, I mean, we, we've talked about this on the show before when we've done these different stories about models and, and different magazines promoting the, the unattainable image of the photoshopped flawless skin person in the magazine that then young girls go and try to emulate and hurt themselves by doing crazy diets and all this other stuff. So to that respect, I think it's, I think it's great. I think it's a great move that they're, they're doing it. But, you know, to you, what you guys are saying, I do question the ulterior motives and the timing and, and how they released it. You know, the whole quote of Vogue believes that good health is beautiful. Yeah, it's that's been true for about 150, 200 years. You know? <laughs> that, that's not new. <laughs> that's new. But I, I applaud them for, you know, for actually making the move. But I think probably the, I could see the PR department. They're probably saying, OK, we're going to do this. We need to get some mileage out of this. How do we do it? You know. So uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll keep an eye on it. I think I think it's good overall. I think it's a good move. But you know, I, I would love to hear what the listeners say about this. So on the, in the in the comments on this blog post for this episode, chime in. Tell us what you think about this story and the other stories in this show. But particularly, I'm interested to hear what you guys think about Vogue banning underage or too skinny models. So and what does that mean? Hmm. All right, uh, quick nod to our sponsor. The sponsor of this episode is Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. And Squarespace has launched a new content management system. It's called, ironically enough, the new Squarespace. Now, if you're a geek, from a technical perspective, um, the they basically rewritten the code base or the, the code that, that runs Squarespace using the latest web technologies, including, wait for the acronym soup, HTML5, CSS3, JavaScript Foundations, all this cool stuff in there that are the cutting-edge technology specifically for speed and for flexibility of future development. So as they roll out different features on the Squarespace, the new Squarespace platform, it's easier than ever for them to just say, okay, hey, now we got a new feature instead of going through whatever they had to go through before. Now, from a user perspective, um, the new Squarespace has incorporated what they, in the design community, folks call responsive design, meaning they have these templates in there that are mobile ready. So your site automatically detects what's looking at it and redesigns itself essentially or relays out the the assets on the page intelligently so that it looks good no matter what device is looking at it. Now, this is important these days, of course, because a lot of people are surfing the web on their iPads, on their Android tablets, on their iPhones, all this stuff, right? So it's not like in the olden days, it was just you could you could rely on people having at least a 1024 by 768 display, you know, and that was like the lowest common denominator. And then, of course, that blew up. But then it was... 
you could at least rely on them. The primary mode of people looking at your website was a computer. And then that went away. Now the primary mode, you have no idea what they're looking at your site with. They could be looking at it on any kind of device and you can't keep up with that. So your website keeps up with that using the new Squarespace. So they have this new, the way you build your site on Squarespace now is faster and easier. We've got a drag and drop engine so you can literally just drag and drop drag and drop assets onto the page where you want them to go and that includes you know blocks of content like photos videos text social media all this stuff and it's updated live as you go and all this is driven by this by a new tool called the layout engine that's in the in that's basically running their page builder tool plus they've got social media integration all this other cool stuff and you the cool thing is you can just you can try it out so squarespace is not like okay you got to go in there and Make, bite your bottom lip, make a commitment. You can sign up for a free trial if you just head over to squarespace.com slash twip. That's squarespace.com slash TWIP. Sign up for a free account. You don't even need a, tr- a credit card to try it out. You just you know sign up, start building your website using all these cool tools that I just mentioned. Then if you decide that you want to keep that site, you want to purchase it, you just use the offer code TWIP8, that's T-W-I-P-8, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase on new accounts. And this is this is applies to monthly and annual plans. Plus, they threw in free domain registration. So if you have a domain name that you want to get and you've built your site, you can throw all that in and get 10% off the whole shopping cart of everything. So once again, that's squarespace.com slash TWIP. Use the offer code TWIP8. And also, current Squarespace subscribers can convert their accounts and the content to the new Squarespace, to the new code base, whenever they choose to, or then keep the site in the current Squarespace so, uh, code if they're you know they're happy with that and they're used to it. So definitely check that out. All right, guys. Now it's I'm going to jump over to uh, an interview that I did with Miss Sue Bryce. She is originally from New Zealand, uh, but she lives in Australia now. She was voted Australia's Portrait Photographer of the Year. She is an amazing person to talk to. She's like one of the nicest people in the world, and her work is just crazy good it's inspired me to do some cool stuff in fact i've already bought some foam core (laughs) because that's what she that's what she uses for bouncing light around so cool stuff she's a like i was saying in the beginning she's a, a portrait and beauty photographer and one of the cool quotes in this interview is she says you know like justin timberlake says he's bringing sexy back sue bryce says she's she's bringing glamour back that's her that's her her tagline so definitely check this out I'm here with Sue Bryce. She's a portrait photographer out of Australia, as you'll as you'll be able to deduce by her her wonderful accent. But uh, she's joining me today to talk about portrait photography and some of the evolutions of portrait photography that that she is pushing forward in different genres and that sort of thing. She has some amazing work out there, and I was first introduced to Sue. Um, through, of course, looking at her work, but personally through uh, Creative Live, which she's doing some workshops with. And as I mentioned on the show before, This Week in Photo is partnering with Creative Live to sort of bring these kind of high-quality interviews to you. So, Sue Bryce, welcome to This Week in Photo. Thank you very much from Las Vegas today. (laughs) You're in Las Vegas. What's happening in Vegas? Uh, I'm here to speak for WPPIU and to do a couple of shoots and, you know, to just get crazy in Vegas like you do. Oh, it's very cool. Very cool. I wish I was there. It sounds like a blast. It's very hot, actually. Very uh, hot. Uh, was it in the hundreds? 
Uh, yes, one 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 when I landed two days ago from an Australian winter. Ouch, ouch. I hope you didn't bring any coats. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, so let's let's dive into it. So uh, Sue Bryce, you're you're you love photographing people, right? So let's let's talk about how you got from where you were and where that was to where you are today, you know, sweating in Vegas. How did you what was the path of Sue Bryce? Well, I started when I was 18 uh, in the photographic industry and um, glamour photography was the biggest genre in the world at the time. And I was a young woman who liked hair and makeup. So it was just natural that I was drawn to that over wedding and portrait, uh, wedding and children photography. And uh, so I launched myself into the glamour industry. And of course, it died uh, probably within seven years of me being fully entrenched in, I was working for Headshots in New Zealand, and um, unfortunately my entire genre faded away and became a dirty word. So um, I kept it alive uh, when everyone else sort of turned away from it, and I just evolved, and I evolved it to something more modern, and I tried to sort of shape modern glamour to be more vanity, fear, portrait, but for the everyday person. I love and here that. I am. I back love in that. fashion. I love that. So that so let's talk about that a little bit. So glamour. And I remember so you mentioned a company called Headshots that you used to work for. And um I'm familiar just here in the United States of there's a I think there was a chain called Glamour Shots that you'd find in strip malls and in malls. And the they're and they may still be around. So apologies about it if if they're still they're still around. But the idea was a woman could walk in off the street or a male could walk in off the street and they do a quick makeover, put you in front of the camera in front of some, with some soft lighting, throw a feather boa or some <laughs> other prop on you and, you know, put some Vaseline on the lens around the edges and boom. And then they make a print and you walk out with it with a before and after. So tell me, let's talk about, so that I'm sure millions of people know what that, that experience was and then the negative stigma that got associated with that and quote unquote real photography. So how did you take that, that sort of flow that I just mentioned and turn it into the art that we see in your work? Cause I look at your work and I see magazine covers, you know, it looks like, it looks like it's, it's real photography. This is real artistic interpretations of women. You know, it's no different than it was 20 years ago, 23 years ago. It was in fashion then, you know, big hair and soft focus and big bows. We liked it back then. You know, we cringe about it now. I think when when something gets so big, it, it's easy for it to die in a big way. And it died in a huge way because, and the stigma attached to it was simply because it wasn't fashionable anymore anymore. Mm. Um, I kind of, I don't understand why we didn't just keep evolving it, why we just turned our back on it, because I never wanted to shoot anything else. So uh, all of a sudden our studio changed its name to Photographers Inc. and we were photographing weddings and children and I didn't want to photograph. I would rather stick pins in my eyes than photograph a wedding (laughs) and I don't like photographing children. So I just had to try and change what it was that people hated about it. And um, as far as I'm concerned, the experience of an everyday woman to walk into a photo shoot, just like a magazine shoot, to have her hair and makeup done by a professional stylist and to experience seeing herself at her most beautiful is still and always has been the most exciting thing that I could ever do as a portrait photographer. So really the rest was about just um, bringing it into the third millennia and making it look 
more magazine and more contemporary and crossing more of a commercial style, but for the everyday client. And I kind of came back into fashion, but because boudoir came back and it kind of launched glamour back. But even now I say the word glamour and people still um, tighten up when I say it. Um, so I have to let the word speak for uh, the old branding, but it's still a powerful brand. So people know what it means. They just now say, oh, you're the modern version, if you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah, that's that's great. Now, so you're an expert in this field. And I, I went to a workshop, um, I think it was last year down in Los Angeles. And it was a it was a workshop on glamour photography, but it was more nude. I mean, this is like just like straight nude photography, but artistic um, but they they branded it as glamour photography. So how do you feel about that sort of co-opting of the glamour name into that genre of photography? Uh, the UK still used the term glamour photography even when we it went out of fashion for the US and Australia and New Zealand. But the UK use it in terms of their um, sort of trashy sort of magazine, FHM, hustler style of photography. Right, That's what right. they refer to as glamour photography. So um, it may have been just a little bit of a crossover from their idea of she's a glamour model and, and you know, that's what the UK calls, say, Katie Price and all those girls that do, you know, page three. But, um, you know, we know what glamour photography is from the 80s. Um, so I can't call it anything else. When I started to, when I went to Australia four years ago, I started to introduce myself as a glamour photographer and, and photographers were saying to me at the time, don't call yourself that because people won't touch you. And then I would show them my images and they'd say, oh, okay. And I'm like, well, what would you have me call that? So okay, I tried portrait couture um, uh, and it didn't ring, doesn't ring true for me. Um, glamour is a word I would use to describe myself. Um, you know, Fergie wrote that great song Glamour and mm -hmm. Glamorous and it's a great song and she started to bring it back and I just thought, you know, I can just bring Glamour back. That's what I'll do. Justin Timberlake bought Sexy back. I'm bringing Glamour back and, you know, I'm just going to say this is what Glamour looks like now and I'm just going to rebrand it um, around the world. I love that. I love that. Bringing glamour back. That's perfect. Now, let's talk about uh, just sort of the flow. So as you go through, like, and I've seen this in the workshop on Creative Live, but let's just sort of dissect the the steps of when you when you do one of these shoots. So say, you know, a woman comes to you and you accept her as a client. What next? What's the flow from you saying, hi, okay, let's do the shoot to you handing over the final product? And what is that final product? To me, um, I have to do, I believe, after 23 years of being in a portrait studio, the secret to selling your product is to pre-sell it. So for me, um, the packages in the shoot is designed in the pre-consultation, whether that's on the phone or in person. Everything I do, the sell the idea, the experience, um, the, the final product, which is a beautiful folio box, and um, everything that that client wants right in that moment is determined pre-shoot. And I decide right then with them how they want to be photographed and what clothes they're going to bring. You know, some people um, don't do glamour, so they want to do the Calvin Klein jeans and white singlet, and some girls want to go straight to boudoir, and some girls want to do the big frocks that I make, and everybody is so different. So we just ask them what they like about my website, what they like about my folio, and that gives me a really good idea of how they want to be photographed, um, their demographic, their age, how 
you know, what they identify with on the wall in my studio tells me straight away how they want to be photographed. And, and then uh, I really spend time in that process. The more time you spend in the pre preparing of a shoot, instead of just banging your way to shoot and hoping that you're achieving, you know, good shots, I'm trying to achieve what my client wants. It's more important than anything else. And then, of course, um, I sell a folio box and uh, a wall portrait. It's I have one package because I just don't believe in um, confusing my clients with price lists of a whole lot of different stuff. And and that's it. And the experience is um, hopefully amazing for everybody. Um, it always intrigues me that uh, nobody feels very comfortable being photographed. It's not the easiest thing to do by any stretch of the imagination. Most people tell me they'd rather go to the dentist. And uh, they come back and see their photographs and they start to remember the process as being a lot more amazing than it was because, you know, it was a bit nerve-wracking and yeah, it's a great experience, hopefully, and beautiful photographs is the result. That's wonderful. Well, then, then talk to me about the delivery. Do you, you know, a lot of photographers will will do the shoot and then post the proofs online and let the photographers pick from there, or and that that kind of comes from the uh, the wedding industry that we of course know that you don't like, um, but the. You know, and some will will create physical, actual printed proofs that you can sit down and go with them, and some just do soft proofing within the studio. What's your flow for for reviewing the images before you make the prints? I do everything via um, live selling, and I do everything on a forty two inch plasma screen. Oh wow! Okay, so everything is on a on on the wall in your studio. You don't you don't allow them. You you don't do the username password thing where they got to log in and see their images. No, I want to be with them when they view their images and I want to show them to them. So I want to experience that with them. I love that. And then that, when you're doing that review, you've already pre-sold the package. So it's not like you're doing any selling at that time. It's just, that's more of just the selection for what the final product is going to be, right? That's the best part. And I think um, that took me the longest to learn as a photographer over the years. I used to struggle to sell my own work and failed really abysmally at it. I you know, I was an employed photographer for the first half of my career. So for 12 years, I worked for somebody else and they sold the work. It wasn't until I went into business myself that I realized that I couldn't actually sell my own work. Um, and then I started to learn over the last sort of 10, 11 years that the selling of the experience and the product is done right before the shoot, really. Um, and then the rest, all you have to do then is deliver. Yeah. I mean, I don't always deliver, you know, I'm only human. I don't always hit that mark. I mean, I have a pretty high, high level of, um, sort of, of, you know, um, final product, but I mean, I'm always going to be, you know, there's always going to be someone that you don't quite get yeah. in the best possible way. But, you know, my idea is that if I've pre-sold the idea and the package and I've pre-sold myself and my experience, in my studio, then really they trust me enough to say, I want to do this. So I just, I just trying to, to get out of them exactly what it is that they want so I can really produce a service. The biggest problem with photographers right now is that they're kind of acting like rock stars or artists where they, they think that the privilege is you've come to my studio so I can create this for you. It's not like that. We're service providers. And if you want to be a really successful business operator, you need to provide a service um, for the client who's coming into your studio and then they'll pay you for it. It's that simple. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So then what about, what about the, the actual time that you're in the studio? How, how long does the average session last? I'm sure it depends, right? But on average. 
Um, on average, it's two hours, uh, one hour for hair and makeup and an hour to shoot. Um, although now that's really changed for me because I used to do three shoots a day when I first opened the studio, uh, six days a week. And then I went down to two shoots a day, um, two double shoots a day. So I do two women per session. Um, so that was four women per day. And now in Australia, I have a higher average and I do one shoot per day. And it goes for about three and a half hours, any longer, and people are hungry and tired, and you just don't get the best from them. So three and a half hours is a good time. Oh, that's really, that's really good. Now, talk about hair and makeup. Do you have a do you have a stylist that you work with for for every shoot that you do, or a, or a bank that you can pull from, or how do you, how does that work? Uh, when I'm in Australia, I work with Simone Yannick, who's coming to Creative Live with me to teach hair and makeup. And she's amazing. She's a professional hair and makeup artist and, and a photographer as well. And, yeah, I always train my makeup artists. I always have. For the last 23 years, I train my own makeup artists. And I just want somebody that's going to um, be a really a good relaxer, a good assistant, somebody who's going to really help my client look and feel gorgeous and, and someone that's going to do hair and makeup in the way that I like it to be done. Yeah. Yeah. And then wardrobe do during that initial consultation, I'm sure you, you talk about the kind of shot and what kind of wardrobe the client needs to wear. Do you provide any of that or is that all the onus on the client to bring their own wardrobe? They must bring their own clothes because that really determines how they're going to be photographed. It tells me so much about who they are as a person. Although I have racks of accoutrement, just extras, just little little bits, flowers and scarves and belts and and things that um, just make images look a little bit better and jazz up outfits a little bit. But um, really, it, it really comes down to the more effort that they put into their shoot. Also, when you're doing your pre-consultation, the more effort you can get your client to put into the shoot, the more committed they are to the shoot and therefore the more they're going to spend because, you know, my clients will go shopping, they'll borrow higher outfits, they'll get a spray tan, they'll get their nails done, they'll get their hair done, they'll get facials beforehand. They'll actually prepare for the shoot like they're preparing for an an event or a wedding and the more invested they are in that process, uh, the better the result and the more invested they are in their sale. So I actually get them excited and prepared to a point where it's becoming an event. The entire shoot is just, just something that they're excited to go and do. Yeah. So you, then you tell them to just show up with their wardrobe ready to go with a clean face and clean hair. And then you and the makeup artist take it from there, right? Yes. Clean, dry hair, no product on, no product in your hair, no product on your face and five outfits right down to the shoes. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. So let's talk about the, the, the creative live aspect of this. So you did one workshop with creative live already. How did that go? Uh, it was probably one of the most amazing experiences I've had as a professional photographer. Um, they're an amazing team to work with, and um, yes, I've I've never I couldn't actually fathom being live online um, like that. So I kind of the night before I was preparing in the in the studio, and I just thought, oh wow, can I do this? This is crazy. <laughs> and then I was just like, well, I'll just be myself and. And <laughs> you didn't look nervous at all. Hopefully that'll the- be good enough. And I, I just loved it. It was such a great experience. Really, really, you really was. Completely, I can't wait to go back. You look completely at ease during the whole thing. Oh, look, I tell you, I think after the first hour and a half that they broke um, for the morning tea break, and I just looked at Simona, and I had the 
the onset of a severe migraine, like the tension through my back and shoulders was so severe, I had to quickly get them to run out and get the strongest drugs to drug me. And one of the boys from upstairs, one of the um, mediators in the chat room came and rubbed my shoulders and I was just like, I I honestly was so strung out. And then I just thought, I just started to breathe and enjoy it. This time I think I'll enjoy it so much more because I know what's going to happen and <laughs> oh, it was really funny. It was really yeah. funny. Well, the, the fear of the unknown is over, right? You're, it's known now. So you can go in with confidence. Um, what about this next one? Let, let's talk about that one. So what's, what's different between this, this upcoming workshop and the one that you just did? Well, I think um, everybody keeps emailing me and say, what are you going to possibly talk about for three days? And I'm like, oh, have we met? I mean, I can talk <laughs> underwater for starters. But secondly, I've been um, a portrait photographer for 23 years. So I photographed over 5,000 women. Wow. And I don't think there's any situation now as a photographer that I could be in that I haven't been in before. And uh, I just sort of really... I want to open up two things. One of them is um, with education at the moment around the world, there seems to be everybody's doing workshops. Yeah. And then you go and do a workshop and you post images and somebody goes, oh, you've done a Sue Bryce workshop, I roll. you know. And the idea, of course, is that you go and learn from a photographer and then you start doing some shoots like them and everyone you know, sort of criticizes that. But the truth is, is I'm actually bringing a genre back. So... I actually want people all around the world to start including a glamour genre into their business because I'm booked for a year in advance and I've turned down over 300 shoots in the last four months because I physically cannot do them myself, which tells me that my genre is widely in demand by women all over the world and I think it's something that needs to be brought back. So I actually want people to learn this and start doing it and learn it properly. So this next three days, uh, I think I'll be shooting almost 20 girls and um, breaking it down and just showing people how to do it really, really well. And um, it's amazing. I, I couldn't have packed more into three days. I'm tired just reading the list. I don't know how I'm going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I'll be watching. I'll be watching. Now, now, you mentioned women. So does glamour extend into male? Like, or Have you ever considered shooting men? Well, I do shoot men, so I probably shoot 100 women and one male. Gotcha. Um, the thing is, is men come in as partners, fathers, and sons um, to shoots, but I very rarely would get a male just come and do a photo shoot on his own. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an average sale of $3,300 now, and men just don't go and spend $3,000 on a portfolio, but it's a very female thing to do. So I don't exclude men by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, I get the more women include them, then obviously the more the higher my sale is. So I always try and bring the boys in at some stage, but mostly it's a girl thing. It's a hair and makeup and girl thing. I love it. And in that 3,000, you know, so averaging 3,300, what are they, what are they getting in that? It's a, you mentioned the folio. What's in that? My folio box is um, distributed. It's made in Australia by Saldex, but it's distributed through Fineo USA. And it's just a very simple 1114 folio box with 17, uh, sorry, 7 by 10 images um, matted. And there's 20 beautiful hand matted images, and it comes with a wall portrait as well. And also includes the shoot, the makeover, a location, and um, a CD of all of the images. 
Got it. Got it. That's great. Let's talk about gear a little bit before I let you go. uh, This Week in Photo listeners won't forgive me if we don't talk a little bit about what you're using to make these images. So what's your your camera of choice and your your lighting of choice? Um, Natural light. Uh, So um, only shoot natural light with polystyrene reflectors. Really? You must have a a beautiful studio then with, with lots of windows in there. Oh, luckily there's beautiful light everywhere in the world. So... Yeah, um, I've just yeah. learned how to bounce it and wow. manipulate it. And um, I'll shoot anywhere. So as long as I can shoot during daylight hours, obviously. Um, yeah, I always joke and tell people I'm powered by God when they ask me um, what my lighting is. And I can only shoot between 10 and 3, obviously, because that's the best shooting time and uh, for me. And, uh, yeah, I use polystyrene reflectors and I shoot on the 5D Mark III. Wow. That is that is great. And then post processing, do you do your own post processing, or do you you hand the images off to uh, to a team to fix them, or to, I've you know? To never edit? been able to hand off my post processing. I love doing Photoshop, and nice. um, I when I started in 1992, I was a photographic uh, retoucher for actually 1988. I was a photographic retoucher. Um, before Photoshop was invented, and then I embraced Photoshop when that came out, and I've been retouching for 23 years, so I couldn't imagine giving that to anyone else. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Keep it, keep it in your hands all the way through to the client, right? And I only, um, I only view 30 images or less. Only 30 images or less, really? Yes. Wow. So, how many are you capturing during the session during that the two to three hours? Um, I don't usually shoot over a hundred. Um, I want to show 25 to 30 and sell 25. So uh, I want to keep it really tight and retouch the images before they're seen. To me, it's a final package. So it takes the, um, the elimination process out because I, I used to show 60 to 120 and then I realized for the first hour, people were just saying no, 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 Mm -hmm. no. Mm -hmm. And I thought, why are people saying no to my work instead of yes? So I just started to cut it down myself. And, and you know, a lot of people say, but what happens when somebody says, is there another shot like that but smiling? And I always laugh and say, it doesn't work like that. People are just, wow. Yeah. yeah. So then, so when you're showing these images, it do so basically you're showing the retouched images. You don't retouch after they pick the ones that you've set aside. Do you retouch before and show them your best work? It's kind of like, why would you... Um, you know, I, I just, if you order a beautiful anything, a beautiful product, you don't want someone to bring it out and say, this is what it looks like before and this is what it's going to look like after because people don't have any visual imagination. Uh, a lot of people don't. And I just kind of think the finished product for me is right through to the end. Um, I wouldn't want to show anybody any unretouched work. I just don't see the point. I, yeah. I don't know why you would do that. Uh, yeah, I I agree. See, another reason why I enjoyed your workshop so much because you're, you're preaching to the choir here. I love that. Okay, so let, let's talk about the workshop. When when is the this upcoming Creative Live workshop scheduled to start? The 27th of August through to the 31st, five days, two days of hair and makeup with Simona and I. We're going to have five faces being made up with a running keynote and we're going to shoot beauty images of all five women both days. And then we're going to go straight into live shooting and inside the Glamour Studio for three days um, from the 29th, 30th and 31st. So, And you can watch it for free on Creative Live. 
Wow. And that's the thing. For the for the folks that aren't familiar with Creative Live, the way it works is you can like Sue just said, you can watch the entire thing for free. So all the stuff that she's been talking about during this interview, you can learn it all in depth for free, uh, live. And then if you feel like you want to own the files and own the videos of the entire workshop, you can pay a fee. I think it's like a hundred bucks or 140 bucks or depending on what it is at the time, but you can pay that fee and download everything to your personal hard drive and own it. Right. So it's literally $99. It's crazy. You can get me for three whole days for $99. And, but the thing is, it's, it's going to be, uh, this workshop is going to be so packed full of information, um, that it's going to be something you have to buy because you'll have to revisit it over and over again. So this is, this is like a crash course between this one and the last one that you did. If someone was to distill all that information into their brain, they pretty much have a pretty good head start on doing this type of photography professionally. If you know, uh, all notwithstanding they have the talent and they, they can shoot and that sort of thing and pose and everything. But this is like a kickstart in order to get into this type of photography, right? Uh, I think I actually believe if you can't turn around or double your sales um, or turn around and open an entire genre from a week of training like this, um, I'd be very, very surprised because I, um, you know, uh, I break it down in such an easy way, and it's really, really, and it's nothing I do is that special. Honestly, I'm. It's a it's a formula, and I've been training a photographer recently in Melbourne, and she I rang me the other day, and she said she's doing really, really well, and I said, where are you where are you struggling? Like, what are you having difficulty with? And she said, well, I do get a little bit bored sometimes because you know I always used to try and reinvent the wheel every time I did a shoot and then I realized that I I just wasn't getting anywhere I wasn't making any money she said but you kind of made me um, make the cake and I said what do you mean she goes well you taught me a recipe a really easy recipe and every day I just wake up and I say just make the cake Annie you know it's don't reinvent the wheel just make the cake and she said now I'm making money and my studio is cranking and, and I was like well that's cool it's just a recipe so Get into it and enjoy it. And, um, you know, there are so many women in this world that want to feel beautiful. It's it's a joke. It's a given. They're just such amazingly um, open uh, as a demographic to market to and to photograph. And, you know, it's so enjoyable. So mm-hmm. I, I love it. And I want to share it. I want everybody to do it. I want to bring it back. And I want women all around the world to just feel great about themselves and have beautiful photographs. It's It's a joy. That's wonderful. Bringing, bringing glamour back. You should, you should do a workshop entitled that bringing, <laughs> bringing glamour back to the, uh, to the masses. Do you ever worry about like giving? Cause you like, again, when I watched your last workshop, I was thinking she's giving everything away. You know, <laughs> she's given, she's given all the secrets and you don't hold back at all. It's like you are telling everyone exactly how you do your business and how you became successful. Do you ever wonder, or do you ever, are you ever concerned that, okay, I'm giving away the keys to the kingdom and now my space is going to be oversaturated with people doing my formula? Um, that's actually quite a, a, a very, very sort of asked question in my life right now. It, it seems to be everyone asks me that every day. Um, I'm nearly ready to retire. I've done 23 years of this. And the sad thing is, is I'm, I was starting to wrap up my um, sort of shooting my business to start other projects and I was like, how could I possibly wrap up 
something that is still in such a high demand unless I give it away to everybody else. Um, and then I started to give it away and everyone told me I was stupid. And the more I give, the more I get. I'm just astounded by how amazing the reception of what I've been giving has become in my life. It is just crazy. I mean, like you said, how did you get from small town in Caraca in New Zealand to sitting in a Vegas hotel talking to you? Yeah. I can't even fathom that. Uh, five years ago, nobody knew who I was, and I have this very successful business that's turning over hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, and nobody even knew who I was in Australia, let alone America. And all of a sudden, it's, it's exploded, and I just feel an incredible gratitude that I get to share this because I really love what I do, but it's time for me to do something else. I'm shooting a lot of video, and I'm, a, I'm an artist, so I draw, and I also do a lot of illustrative photography, and it's time to do more, and um, I can't go on to the next thing and not leave this legacy at least of something because um, I've been working so hard at this for my entire life and everybody thinks that I'm an overnight success, you know, but I'm 41 and I've been doing this since I was 18 and I've just loved, I've loved it so much. Mm. That is, that's amazing. Just for you to be able, I I can hear the passion in your voice and just for you to be able to a, have something of such value to give back to the photography community and B, be in a position through photography that you can say, okay, I'm ready to retire at 41 and move on to something else cool. That's amazing in and of itself. That's, that's congratulations. That's really cool. You know, change is the biggest thing. The biggest problem you ever have as a human being is when you get tired of something or when you get sick of something, instead of just embracing what's coming next, we have this sort of propensity to uh, to become incredibly negative and stagnated in what we're doing because we sometimes believe that when we, when we create all this negative energy in our life, we perpetuate change by having to or other people make changes for us instead of grabbing the future and just going, I'm going to do this. And I don't think you should ever have to create a negative situation or in, in order to make changes. I believe that you can do anything. And when I say that and people say, well, sure, I look at it like this. I am. I have no education. I have no photography education. I have no business education, but I built a million-dollar business. I have absolutely no trust fund. I'm not a rich wife, but I managed to build an amazing career doing what I love when everybody told me that my genre was dead and I couldn't even say the name. So nobody will ever tell me I can't do something. So now that I've sort of moved to a stage where I'm like, I can give this away now because I'm ready to move into the next stage of my life. I'm just going to embrace what's coming in new technology. And I love shooting video on the 5D on Mark III and I love editing and Final Cut Pro, and I, I love marketing and creating and teaching photographers about, um, you know, marketing. And I just, I have so many cool things in front of me right now that um, giving this away is just, it's easy, easy, easy. Wow. So how, how much longer do we have of Sue Bryce before you start making that transition? I've already started making that transition. So my decision to do Creative Live in itself was the beginning of, 
you know, giving uh, as much as I can and seeing how long it takes the world to sort of embrace this genre and start um, really opening it up in their businesses. And I want to see people making money from it. And I want to see people actually successfully taking beautiful shots of women and marketing, marketing themselves. And yes, there's going to be a percentage of people that um, do a crappy job of it. I mean, that's just life. And yeah. I, you know, the more I can educate them, hopefully the better that they can be. And, and, you know, it's already begun. Wonderful. All right. Well, Sue, I know you, you're anxious to get to those slot machines in Las Vegas. So let me know where, where can people go to see your work and, and, and get inspired by you and all that good stuff. Well, um, my first creative live workshop is still selling and my website is suebrice.com, Sue Bryce with a Y. I have a very active blog, um, on, on suebrice.com that I have um, been working on for two years where I try and give as much information as I can. And I'm on Facebook, Sue Bryce Photographer. I'm on Twitter, Sue underscore Bryce. I'm, I just, I, I actually feel like I'm everywhere, Frederick. Nice, nice. <laughs> Are you on Google Plus yet? No, I'm not on Google Plus or Pinterest, actually. And even though I'm getting work and inquiries all around the world from Pinterest, I'm not on it because I've banned myself from another social media <laughs> so that I can have some semblance of a life. Tell me about it. I know. That's a whole other show entirely, uh, just how to manage all this stuff. That's great. All right. Well, Sue, thank you so much for taking the time today. This has been educational, inspirational. I may go back and rewatch your first creative live workshop now. Now that now that I know, I feel like I know you personally. I'm going to go watch it again. Yeah, that's wonderful. And please tune in on the 27th. I'm going to bring it. So I'm really excited about it. And I just uh, I've taken a month to write the keynote for it. So oh, awesome. So that's, that's August 27th, 9 a.m. sharp. It starts, right? Yes, it does. And I'll be in Seattle. Okay. And for the folks listening, you don't need to be in Seattle. All you need to do is be in front of your computer and uh, just go to creativelive.com and check it out, right? Awesome. Yes, that's true. For free. That's, that still blows me away. For free. I hope they keep that. They, they sh- I hope they don't start charging for that. <laughs> At the end of the day, um, it's a great model for the simple reason that um, you, why would you buy something unless you had a look first? And mm-hmm. it's very hard to pre-buy a workshop um, just based on a few sentences written about you. And I think when you get to watch people, you can. people were emailing me saying, I watched you for 20 minutes and I knew I would buy it. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't often sit down for three whole days, but if you find an instructor that you resonate with and you know that they're giving you lots of good information, you only need to watch them for 10 minutes, 20 minutes to realize that you might want to own it. Um, They're never going to survive if people don't buy it because they need to pay their crew. And it's such an amazing platform and the support for that platform is growing. And, you know, the more people that buy it, obviously, the more they can deliver in terms of education. Um, what I like about it is not only that they give you a taste for free, but that you can buy it for so cheap. Because, yeah. um, you know, to do a three-day workshop with me would be a lot more than $99. But um, it's pretty amazing. It's, what I like about it, to be honest with you, is every single person even the girl that makes the coffee and cleans the kitchen is nice. Like they're just so down to earth and groovy people. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's, that's been my experience in the, the short time that I've known the guys inside. It's a, yeah, it's just people that are just passionate about photography and the attitude is upbeat and you know, it's, it's sort of a, you know, a, almost a perpetual motion machine where they're giving and everyone's happy and they make a little money and they can keep giving more and more and more. 
So it's good. So August 27th, I'm there with bells on. I'll be in the audience watching. Good. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks a lot, Sue. I appreciate it. Okay. You can learn more about Sue Bryce by visiting her at her website at www.suebrice.com. Or you can follow her on the usual social networks. Also, be sure to check out her upcoming free class on Creative Live on photographing women. Um, And that's coming up August 27th through August 31st. And again, you can watch that for free, you know, on those dates. And if you happen to miss it, you can purchase it and watch it later. All right, you guys, it is time for the listener Q&A. This is the segment when our guests answer questions that have come in via our various online feeds. First question, number one, is about photo walks. Doug, I'm going <laughs> to, of course, I'm going to throw this one to you. You want to take it? Mr. Photo Walk, huh? Yes, uh, you, you've yeah. branded yourself. <laughs> right, so Greg, Greg is going to New York in October, and he wants to find a photo walk meetup workshop while he's there, something like that. And he asks, what's the best place for him to find out about workshops, photo walks, and meetups? Um, in general, Google. I would just go and I would say, you know, New York City photo walks, New York City photo workshops. And you'll find quite a bit that way. But I think ultimately anybody who wants to get involved in photo walks or workshops needs to go into one of the social networks. You could start with Flickr. Uh, my favorite is Google Plus, as you've heard me say before. The, the issue is that it takes quite a bit of investment of time. You're not going to just go in there day one and get you know, have you know a few thousand people following you and uh, and so forth. But if you invest the time to go and get involved in these social networks as a photographer, uh, you'll get tremendous information out of them. Uh, a lot of um, uh, meet a lot of great people and see a lot of great photos too. But uh, I would start with Google and then I'd go to Google Plus. Excellent, very cool. All right, thanks for that. All right, next question number two is from listener Dave King. Ron, I'm going to throw this one to you. I think this is right up your wheelhouse. Sure. He says, uh, I experimented with shooting lightning recently using my Canon PowerShot S100. To avoid the issue of snapping the shutter at the precise moment of lightning strike, I decided to shoot video instead and then pull the frames from the video that showed the lightning strikes. Uh, It worked, he says, which I guess it would. Um, However, the best way I was able to capture the images from the video was to basically do a screen capture of the image with the video paused at the right moment and then paste that into PaintShop Pro for further cropping and processing. Uh, this worked, but the image is at a lower resolution than I would like. Is there a better way of doing this? Uh, which, you know, first of all, kudos for some very um, creative problem solving, I suppose, in yeah. terms of coming up with a way to get some images. Uh, yeah, there's definitely a better way to do this. You're, you're, anytime you're shooting video, you've got so many compromises you're making relative to shooting still film, uh, still images. You know, the, at best case, you're shooting HD resolution. So, you know, 1920 by 1080, again, best case. And then it goes through all this compression where, you know, individual frames aren't really saved, but they're kind of based on frames before them. And there's all kinds of horrible things that video compression is doing to your your imagery. It does not sound good, Ron. (laughs) No, and then showing it on the screen and doing a screen capture and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, yes, you're really limiting yourself. Um, the, The trick to shooting lightning is that it's very bright and, uh, and bright enough to just kind of show up no matter kind of what you're doing. So anytime I've shot lightning, I mean, there's two ways you can do it. You can you can go nuts and you can buy some device that actually listens for the lightning, the thunder crack, or, or mm-hmm. actually, I, think, I guess it actually looks for the light and triggers a shutter based on that. But you don't really need to do that. I've had extremely good results 
um, just opening the shutter up for a long period of time. And you'll often get multiple lightning strikes on that. And basically the trick is you're shooting on a PowerShot S100. So that's, that's the little small point and shoot, but it has full manual control. So what I would do is I shut, set it manually and, you know, sort of set it up so you have as long a shutter as it will let you do. And I know it's kind of limited on that device, but it's probably about 15 seconds. Uh, adjust the aperture so that you get a nice kind of exposure of whatever else is in the rest of the scene, uh, or maybe that it goes to black, and then just set it out there and keep triggering it while the lightning is going on. And, yeah, you're going to get a bunch of frames where you don't capture anything, but over the course of 15 seconds, if there's any kind of a decent lightning show going on, you'll probably get one or two strikes, and you'd be surprised at how good some of these things look. And if you're lucky, you'll get multiple strikes in, in the frame even. And I've, I've, got, I've had some really cool pictures doing that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, if, I, if I'm go just going to say, if I'm shooting on a, a, an SLR, I'll, I'll often shoot, you know, two minute exposures or something to get lightning. Oh wow. Yeah. But how does that work? I mean, if you're if you're shooting a two minute exposure and you're aimed at the sky and it's a dark sky, of course that will work great, right? But what if you you want to do a shot? Like I saw this shot um, of the Golden Gate Bridge that had lightning strikes hitting the top of it. Yeah. Like that was that had to be pure luck because the bridge was exposed correctly and the lightning was exposed correctly. If he had done the two minute thing, the bridge would have been completely blown out and overexposed because of the light. Well, not on necessarily. It, right? I mean, well, I mean, you know, if you're really shooting something that's already got enough light on it, you might find that you need to put in, you know, an ND filter or something to do that. But you know, if you set your aperture to be tiny, tiny. Uh, even with a 15 second exposure, and you know, set your ISO to 100 or, or wherever you can go, uh, and then uh, you know, yeah, basically set your shutter and aperture so that whatever you're shooting is exposed normally or even underexposed a little bit, and the lightning will kind of take care of itself because it's mm-hmm. it's very bright, but it's also very localized. Mm-hmm. So even mm-hmm. though it kind of lights up the whole scene, it's so quick that it's not going to throw your exposure off that much. And you're going to be a tripod anyway, too, right? Yeah, yeah obviously, if you're shooting for you know a 30-second exposure or something, you need to have it well yeah. stabilized. Better be locked down. Doug, what, having, what are you having, having shot the Golden Gate Bridge nine times this week, in the past week, I'm, I'm, Obsessed I'm, much, I'm, Doug? I'm serious about that. Well, I live nearby, so I don't have much of an excuse for not going there. But, you know, uh, Ron's right. I mean, the you can easily shoot a 30-second exposure at F11 or something like that uh, of the bridge, and you need F11 because the lightning is so bright. Yeah. You know, it's like it's essentially you know brighter than fireworks, and fireworks are so bright that you're going to shoot those at f11 or so. Yeah. Um, and it, again, let me point out that if you have an intervalometer, <laughs> this is, built this is in a, from the manufacturer, this, you know the, the the film for these cameras isn't very expensive these days, and um, <laughs> and so you know you can set this thing up. You know, go you know shoot 300 shots. Yeah. You just let it let it run. Let it exactly. Go. Let it go. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't do that in the olden days, right? You were no. you're limited to thirty six, and you had to run out and change it. Right? And it mm-hmm. cost real money. Yeah, yeah. Wow, boy. When in my day. <laughs> 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 All right, guys. Well, thanks for that. Those were our listener questions. Now it's time for the pick of the week segment. This is the time where you guys can pick anything as long as it is somehow related to photography. Doug, I'm gonna let you go first. What's your pick of the week? You know, I don't think I've done this one before. Uh, forgive me if I have, but because I've been studying papers so much uh, recently, uh, this company, Breathing Color, which almost nobody's ever heard of, makes terrific papers, uh, and they're remarkably uh, good for the value. Um, Breathing Color makes they've one called Optical One, 
that I use as a as a really bright white smooth matte paper, uh, and then they have Vibrance Gloss, which is one I just discovered, which is a a glossy, very bright white paper too. But check them out, and uh, we'll put a link there in the show notes, both to Breathing Color and to my review recently of all the gloss papers I could get my hands on. That's cool. What what printer are you printing on right now? It's a Epson thirty thirty eight eighty. Thirty-eight eighty. That's right. We talked about that. Yeah, I'm running the thirty-eight hundred. And the the biggest you can go up to that on what is thirteen by nineteen? No, I can do uh, seventeen by twenty-two. Wow. Uh, and in fact, you can you know it doesn't take roll paper, but you can print seventeen by thirty-two if you feed it carefully by hand. And if you get the rip processor, you can go seventeen by unlimited. What so, do you? And then once you once your that giant print rolls out of your printer, what do you do with it? Uh, hopefully I've sold it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> got it. Got it. <laughs> yeah. I have no one else to put it. I've got photos up everywhere else, but yeah, hopefully it's for, for somebody who's bought a print. And I'm, but you're, are you mounting when they come out or are you just rolling them up, put them in a tube kind of thing? Uh, it depends, but something that big always, I, I'm never mounting. I'm always delivering it to them by hand. Got it. Got you know, it. I mean, i sorry, delivering to me in a roll. Yeah. 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 Got it. Cool. All right. Mr. Ron Brinkman, what is your pick of the week? Mine is a Kickstarter project, so kind of, you know, fair warning. These things are uh, not always guaranteed to come through and not all that completely vetted or anything. But it looks kind of interesting, so I thought I'd point people over to it. Um, it's basically a wireless tethering project that somebody is trying to put together, which is, you know, sort of a remote. Uh, it's a device that com- that hooks into your camera and also... Uh, sends the images wirelessly over to iPod, uh, iPad, uh, iPhone kind of stuff. So it looks kind of interesting. Um, like I said, I don't know much more about it than, than what's on Kickstarter, but it's called Camera Mater, and they seem to at least have the, the right idea about sort of how useful this could be and what would be cool about it. So, so check on, it out. On One has a product out that allows you to to remotely control and see your images as you take them, but in that workflow, a computer's involved, right? So you're you're essentially the computer. You take the photo, and everything is on the same wi- on the Wi-Fi network. You can take the photo with your iPhone or your iPad. The the computer records it and then sends the preview back to your iPad, so you can see right. what you just shot. This you, I'm looking at the Kickstarter page now, but this thing there's no computer involved. Right? Yeah, so. I think that's exactly the the difference is that it's uh, you know it's just designed to sort of have some of the electronics on board with the. The wireless device that hooks up to the camera and then ships it straight over to your iPad, which is pretty cool. So uh, there, there may be other solutions out here, out there that do similar things. I'm not totally up to speed on that one. This just kind of came across my radar, uh, and I thought it was kind of interesting. So, and I, I just, you know, I love the idea of these little Kickstarter projects where people uh, people do something that was just you know not possible to to get the funding for in the past. I, you know, like I said, many of them are are likely to explode in people's faces and not uh, <laughs> never come about. But overall, I love the concept, so I'm hoping this is one of the good ones. Well, I mean, as of this recording, they've got 292 backers. They're looking to get 80000 to kick this thing off. They have 13 days left to get from 56760 to 80000 so it looks good. like they're on their way. So that's, that's a pretty good number because usually these, these Kickstarter things kind of tend to ramp up right toward the end. So Interesting. Very interesting. All right. Well, my pick of the week, um, and I mentioned this on the interview I did with Nicole on Google+, Plus, but it's a, a plug-in for Aperture, Lightroom, and Photoshop called Portraiture. 
and it's from a company called Imagenomic. It's $199, and this thing is crazy. I mean, you this they've been around for a while, but I, I've you know, frankly, I, I have my own sort of retouching workflow that I go through that that I I kind of was happy with until I saw what this thing could do. <laughs> but I mean, at the very least, it gives you like a kickstart and just making people's skin flawless and the link that we're going to link to in the show notes has a before and after with one of those html5 sliders on the image so you can see you can just drag it across the image and see what it looked like before this this plugin got a hold of it and after are are you guys looking at it it's yeah Yeah, i'm looking at it right now it's insane i mean it's like really this is what people used to get paid gazillions of dollars to do now it does it. And this is, I think this is the default. And Sue was talking about this. Sue Bryce was talking about this in her workshop, one of the workshops she's did, she did. And she leaves this thing on default. You know, she didn't even yeah. tweak with any of the sliders. She just runs it on a layer in Photoshop. And it comes out looking like you amazing. You know, for $200, you now have exponentially more talent than you did before you spent the $200. Right. Well, you have a makeup artist. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It looks good. It's interesting because I guess it, I mean, it looks like it's almost trying to recreate skin texture from one. I mean, it just to sort of explain what I'm seeing on the website, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a, a model that does not have the, the clearest skin. She's got a lot of blemishes and stuff. And uh, it almost looks like it's sort of sampling from areas of the face that don't have many blemishes and sort of using that texture and replicating it into other areas. Uh, it's, it's, you know, and it blends it all together. And it, you know, when you look at the after you're like, I mean, yeah, you can tell it's been retouched, but you can dial that back and add some imperfections back in if you want to, you know, complete the illusion. But Holy crap. I mean, it's, what's, what's cool about it is that, that if you look at it, it doesn't touch the eyes at all. Yeah. Or yeah. the lips. The, right? the eyes, the eyes are unchanged. Now the lips have a little change to them. Yeah, the a eyes little are softer. Nothing. Yeah. It's a pretty impressive. looks like she's got the after looks like she's got way too much makeup on. But again, for a, for a first shot at something, it's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. And the way, the way that I would run this and the way I've been playing around with it is, you know, command J, make a new layer, run it on that layer. And now you have a perfect layer. You can you can uh, do a layer mask and just reveal the the unretouched version. Like you can, if you think the lips have been softened too much, you can bring them back. You yeah. know, or on the overall image, you can just dial back the opacity on that top layer that that the 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 plugin is run on and bring back detail from the bottom image to make it as real or as unreal as you want. So I just I want to get one of these sliders for the week the workshops I lead. Oh yeah, you know I looked that up. I looked I that up. That's playing with a, this thing like crazy. It's a plugin. Uh, that's a word a WordPress plugin. Just search on WordPress for before and after photo, and you'll find Excellent. it. All right, thank you. That that's going to be my pick of the week next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because we don't know that I just told you about it. <laughs> All right, and the other thing, because I'm on this whole you know, Doug, just like you're you're diving into the the printing and and getting your feet wet in there. I'm diving into how to make people look amazing. And this portrait portraiture plugin is one of them. Another book that I want to give a shout out to is Scott Kelby's professional portrait retouching techniques for photographers using Photoshop. This is a long title, but it's a really thick book written in Kelby style. So it's not like you're, you're reading through say the Bible or something. This thing is like, you know, one tip per every couple pages. So he'll go into, you know, you're shooting a guy that has too much razor stubble. How do you lighten that? You're shooting someone who has, 
you know, how do you lighten teeth? How do you lighten eyes the correct way? How do you make flawless skin? And he goes into how what we're talking about with this portrait and skin retouching plugin, how to do that by hand. So he just, it just, once you go through this book, you will pretty much know how to retouch people, you know, and then using a plugin like portraiture just gives you the kickstart to like, if you have to go fast, you can use this plugin and, and get a, get a head start on your work, your uh, retouching workflow. So definitely check that out. It's Scott Kilby's Professional Portrait Retouching Techniques. And it goes for uh, twenty six eighty five as we record this on Amazon. All right, guys. We're at the end. This is the end of another episode of TWIP. Doug K, where are you at in the ether? Uh, com, or better yet, find me on Google+. Plus. All right. And that's K-A-Y-E. That is. Mr. Ron Brinkman with two N's. Where are you at online? Uh, on Twitter at Ron Brinkman, I'm on Google Plus. Uh, you can find me there occasionally, and my blog is Digital Composting, which I mentioned. I talked a little bit about some of these camera, you know, open operating system ideas. Yep. And uh, yeah, I'm around. Feel free to pick up a copy of Freeze Paint if you're an iPhone owner too, or yeah. iPad. Where do they get that? Is it you have FreezePaint.com for that? FreezePaintApp.com. FreezePaintApp.com with two P's. Right. <laughs> Yes. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I forgot to mention the, uh, the the review of the glossy papers at blogarhythms.com. Blogarhythms.com. Right. Cool. Awesome. Good stuff, guys. All right, and listeners, if you want to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can check us out at thisweekinphoto.com. And if you wouldn't mind, please support us by leaving us a quick comment on iTunes. Also, we've got a cool podcast app on in the iTunes store uh, that you can download to keep up with our shows as soon as they are released. And finally, if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at frederickvan.com. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production. Produced by Suzanne Llewellyn. With technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.